How's everyone this morning? Hopefully you're doing well. Hopefully everybody online, you guys are enjoying your pajamas and the weather, and uh, you're somewhere safe and sound. But, uh, and those of you that will watch this later, God bless you. We love you, and um, we hope you're just enjoying this kind of resurrection season, right? Can everybody say resurrection season? So this morning I want to talk to you uh, regarding this series about resurrection waves. I want to talk to you um, about a little bit about my mom, a resurrection story from my mom, um, but uh, it kind of overlaps with my own. And I'd like to start uh, in Philippians chapter 1 is going to be our scripture. And as we read this scripture, I want you just to feel the Apostle Paul. I love um, when the writers in scripture are so real. There's, I think there's a lot more reality in the scripture, the writings that are, come forth than we realize sometimes. I love Paul's honesty in this scripture, and I think we can all relate to, to his honesty, and uh, I'll get to that in a second. But why don't we stand and read this um, together, if we could, in our best voice, uh, even with your mask on. Let's just go ahead and uh, speak it out. Uh, starting with verse 15. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. Let's stop right there. So just a little backdrop in case you don't realize that Paul's in jail. So as he's referring to chains, he's literally in handcuffs. We would think of handcuffs, legs, chained up. So he's talking about that even though he's in trouble, there's people that are uh, preaching the gospel that are coming against the way Paul's preaching the gospel. That's what he's essentially talking about. So let's go ahead. Verse 18, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. So let's stop again for a second. So essentially what he's saying is, even the people that are preaching the gospel and are coming against me, I rejoice over that, even though they, they are envious and even though they are full of rivalry. He says, uh, he refers essentially back to Isaiah 55, where the scripture says that God's word cannot go forth and return void. Paul's just saying, listen, in spite of our messed up in spite of our own egos and our own rivalries, the word of God is going forth. And he says, in that, for that reason, I rejoice. So now let's get to the meat of this. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. He doesn't know if he's going to live through this being in chain stuff. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me, yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. This is great. And this is where he's being really real with us. Listen to what he says. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. 
stop there. Anybody ever feel that way before? Have you ever felt like heaven would be a lot better than the present situation? Anyway, verse 24, let's read, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Life worthy of the gospel, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Thank God for his word. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated for a second. I love the honesty of Paul, and this is the address of all of us at one time or another. Anyone that's a Christ follower, certainly, there are those moments that you say, it would be better for me if I were in heaven right now, but better for you if I stay. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Have you ever said that? Or have you ever thought that before? That I can't wait to get to heaven. Or I'm so ready for heaven. The best thing that can happen for me is I just go to heaven I just want to get to heaven. Have you ever felt that? Paul essentially says here, paraphrase, to paraphrase Paul, he would just be saying, it's better for me that I go, better for you that I hang around. Say that to anybody that you know that is sitting by you because it's the truth. Better for you that you go, better for them that you stay, right? It reminds me of that old Clash song, should I stay or should I go? But that has nothing to do with the gospel. I don't think, at least. Anyway, when, um, you know, my mother-in-law used to say that, uh, that it's a mother's job when it comes to boys and young men and men, it's a mother's job to begin the civilization process, and it's the wife's job to continue it after they get married, right? So uh, those of you, those men out there, don't raise your hand. Uh, but if you are married, trust me, you're in the continual civilization process. Some of you are taking a little longer than others, but that's the reality. I remember early in our marriage, um, a lot of you have heard me tell this story, or maybe you haven't. I, I have this story, a true story about Claire and I being at a, at a marriage retreat. And do you remember those... Um, I'll just kind of give you the Cliff Notes version of this. You remember those uh, hot fudge cakes at Big Boy? They probably still have them if you can find a Big Boy somewhere around the country. But it was, it was uh, chocolate cake with ice cream, hot fudge, and whipped cream, and like everything that was amazing and wonderful. And um, anyway, one day, it's a long story, I wasn't eating real well. I was young. I thought I could eat whatever I wanted, um, and so I did. In my early 20s, Claire and I are first married, and we're in a marriage retreat. We're doing this communication uh, practice, and there was a prize, and I'm kind of a competitive person. I'm like, this is going to be great. Anyway, um, I had just eaten a hot fudge cake for lunch with a cup of coffee. Great lunch. And we're doing this puzzle. I've got a blindfold on. Claire's behind me telling me. Anyway, when I take the blindfold off, I'm literally blind. I cannot see. And I'm going through this process, and I'm having this this 
uh, angst within me, like, do I even want to tell my wife that I'm blind right now because I have a pretty good feeling it's because of the hot fudge cake that I just had for lunch. So ultimately I did, but God was gracious and healed me. So fast forward, you'd think I would learn, you'd think you would learn with your stuff if you were honest and you were up here telling stories. And so fast forward a few years later, I'm an electrician and I'm working for, I'm working for uh, the company I'm working for, one of our main accounts is Hostess. So every Tuesday and Saturday, we would go in and we'd do maintenance or construction uh, in, in different plants that Hostess had. And their main plant that I liked the best wasn't the bread plant, which is now a casino in Detroit, uh, even though that's interesting. But it was the plant that made all the cakes and stuff. It was like my address. It was like, this is going to be awesome. So my favorite room in the plant was the room that made, how many remember King Don's? King Don's, they are now called Ding Dongs. And I was trying to figure out why they are now called Ding Dongs, because they used to be King Don's. I, I could only imagine a bunch of hostess, like executives in a room and saying, this is too patriarchal, King Don's, we need a better name, let's call them Ding Dongs. <laughs> like, great. Anyway, that may not have been the way it went. I think you still can find King Don's in finer stores. Uh, but I, there's also a crisis in the area. I was having a hard time finding these. You can find them at the gas stations, for those of you that are still morphing into what Jesus wants you to be. This, so anyway, King Don's, if you're not familiar, it's this, this tasty chocolate cake. They inject this, this white substance into the middle of it, so it's just exquisite. And then they cover it with chocolate. So the King Don room was so awesome, or the Ding Dong room, probably better uh, for uh, my, my version, uh, being kind of Ding Dong-ish. So we would go into this room. It was also air-conditioned. So what would happen is it was this line, and it would go through. There'd be the cake. It would come through, and then they would inject the substance, and then it would come out. It would cool just a little bit, and then they would uh, put it in with the chocolate over the top, and it would come out the other side, and they were, the cake was still hot. Have you ever had one hot? No, you probably haven't, because if you haven't walked, worked at Hostess. And then what would happen on the days we'd work in that room is, like, we had to test them, right? Of course, you've got to test your work, and they would let us do it, and we literally would sit next to the conveyor, next to the machine, and they would come out, they, they would do cases of these things, because they had to get them just right before they would start to make them. And we would just sit there and eat King Don's. Did you ever have your eyes roll back in your head because something was so amazing? King Don's. So Claire caught wind. I don't know who told on me, but Claire caught wind that I was in the Ding Dong room eating these exquisite cakes. And she took me back to my blindness And who squealed on me? Anyway, she took me back to it, and she said, you know what, honey? You have got to stop eating some of the stuff you're eating. And um, I I said to her, I said, well, you know, it's kind of win-win. How many are familiar with Stephen Covey? Like, that was big then. Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I was really into that book. Habit number four, win-win. Win-win. Everybody say win-win. So I told Claire, I said, it's a win-win, honey. If I die, I go to heaven. If I don't die, I get to stay here and be a Christian. And she looked at me and she said, win-win for you. 
And here's the faulty part of the book. Anyway, win-win for you, but not so much for the kids and I. And that's what Paul's wrestling with here. It's the last time that I ate a King Don, although I'm hoping to have one of these later. But I have... You guys sound like the devil. Anyway, take a bite of the King Don. Anyway... The, the, this is, uh-oh, she's coming to take, <laughs> coming to take the ding-dong. <clears throat> Here's what I want to ask you. I just want to ask you a question. Actually, a, a couple of thoughts, and I want you to think about this as we talk about what Paul says here. So, no, go to that slide you were just on. So... There's this saying, right? So heavenly-minded, we become no earthly good. Or so earthly-minded, we become no heavenly good. I want you to think about this as we go through our last few minutes. And I want you to think about, for me, I was so heavenly-minded, there was a part. Now, obviously, say no earthly good is a little extreme or no heavenly good. That's extreme in the saying. I get that. However, my life needed some adjustment and still needs different adjustments. We all need adjustments. This is what spiritual work, spiritual formation is about. All of us tend to go to one category or the other. We're either more heavenly minded and we're less earthly good, or we tend to go to more earthly minded and less heavenly good, right? So I want you to think about what it might be for you. So to be earthly-minded is you, and this was one of the things that needed to be tweaked in my life and still does, we eat what we want, we treat our body the way we want, we enjoy the things we want, and then we just think if we die, we go to heaven. It's win-win. Win now, win later. Doesn't matter. We'll win. And that's how we justify it. To be earthly-minded is, in some ways, to be very tied to the things of the world. It might be the concerns of the world. It may be just your imagination of what the world needs to be. It could be trying to create some kind of utopian personal story or thinking that there will be this utopian story in the world. And the reality of it is, is the scripture is really clear that the world lacks and will always lack. You cannot be fulfilled through it. So to tie your, your heart and concerns more to that which is of this world than that which is of God is a problem. Think about the rich young ruler not being able to give his wealth away. He was tied to something of the earth that he refused to when he was asked by God um, to give away. It could, it could concern riches. It could concern your comfort. It could concern your security. It could be about pleasure. It could even be about causes that are good causes, but they begin to supersede your relationship with God. Get that? So that's just some of the things when it comes to being earthly-minded. Or you may be more heavenly-minded. So to be more heavenly-minded, think of like the Pharisees. Or think of Paul refers to, for instance, in 1 Thessalonians 5, he talks to the Thessalonians literally who were waiting for the second coming of Jesus on the on hillsides, waiting that Jesus would return. 
and basically not engaging their lives in kingdom work and kingdom purposes. And this is what Paul says. This isn't on a slide, but I'll read it to you. Now about the times and dates that we, I do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, he will come, or I'm sorry, distress will come upon them suddenly, so labor, like labor pains of a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness, so then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and let us be self-controlled. In other words, Paul's saying, get engaged, engage your life, engage in the purpose that God created you for. That's what he's talking about here. So this is being too heavenly minded. This is the great escape group. Those of us that are old enough and you remember Star Trek, this is the beam me up Scotty. Anytime there's a problem, just beam me up, Jesus. Just get me out of here because I don't want to deal with the difficulty that's around me. This group may be just sitting around waiting for the second coming, maybe more concerned with studying the Bible than living out the Bible. It's important you study the Bible. But when you study it, then live out the Bible. Remember, we read Scripture not for information, but we read it for transformation, that our lives would engage, right? You're not called to sit on a hill and just wait for Jesus. We avoid things because we don't want our holiness tainted. We like to talk about the lostness of the world, but we're not so interested in helping it change and transform. So which is it? Or maybe you're really centered, and that's the key. We're trying to get centered in this place where we have a proper centeredness on God, where our pursuit is having a healthy balance of leaving and loving the present. Say that after me, leaving and loving the present, leaving and loving the present. One day you and I will sleep, is how the scripture really mostly describes, not all conclusively, but the main way the scripture describes death is we will sleep. You sleep, you wake up in a different reality. But a proper centeredness and effective pursuit is having a healthy balance of I'm going to be leaving this place and I'm going to be loving in the present and fully engaged. Now, for just a couple of minutes, my mom passed away on April 10th and so grateful for all of the support you guys have shown us, our family. We're so deeply grateful for that. So my mom, about 18 months ago, moved to Marshall. She moved to the condos across the street there. She knew she had cancer for about five years, but wasn't telling us. She estimates. She told me about five years. So I don't know that I've seen, uh, she was, let me just put it this way. She was such a beautiful example of being fully here and fully there. My mom often throughout the years would say, I wish I were in heaven. There's nothing wrong with saying that at all, unless that's all you're doing. But she would say that. But then there comes this moment where it becomes reality in your life. And that was a truth for her. She would say that. 
I don't remember her not saying it once she gave her life to Christ. I wish I were in heaven. I can't wait to get to heaven. So Easter Sunday, um, she, so she moved out here. Part of the reason why she had cancer and wasn't telling us wasn't because the doctors had told her that she had cancer. She just thought she was suspicious she had it in her body. It got confirmed about six months before she came here that she had actually two different kinds of cancer, and she had breast cancer. We grew up in the house she was in, and she just didn't want to relocate here. She wasn't ready for it. But then when the cancer kind of got to the place where she felt like it was time, because she knew we were going to really encourage her. We were, our whole family is basically this part of the state for the most part. So she came out, and Easter Sunday, we had one of the most beautiful, beautiful conversations, my mom and I. So anyway, speak of the resurrection. She, when she came out here, she had decided that, like Paul, she says, you know, I'd rather be in heaven, but I know it's better for you if I'm here. So she came out here, and for 18 months, it was just, oh, Claire and I looked at each other sometimes when she would be so engaged with the kids and the grandkids. And like, she had the ability to do that, but we knew she was in pain. We knew her body was deteriorating. That She would even say that, I can't wait for a new body. How many can relate to that? So anyway, she was so engaged. And she, she said, I just want to fall asleep when I die. I don't want to be in a lot of pain. So she went on hospice about six months ago, but no procedures. This was her decision. We supported her. She said, I'm not getting any surgeries. We're not doing, doing any of that stuff. We're not doing chemo. I'm going to live the best I can. I believe that's what God wants me to do. And that's what she did. So Easter Sunday, uh, she was at our house um, and she had dinner with us and stuff. And then she and I went to her condo and we spoke for about three hours. So uh, Easter Sunday was, what, the third or uh, fourth, something like that. So she died the 10th. So at that point, she's still driving and stuff. I drove her home that day because she asked for a ride. We sat down and we talked for about three hours. And it was out of all of the most amazing moments I've had with my mom, this was one of the most profound and beautiful moments I had with her. And we cried and we laughed and we talked about different things that she really wanted me to make sure were things that were paid attention to for her family. She was so centered. It was tangible, the centeredness. Claire and I have talked about how well we were loved by our parents. And one of the things that we loved about all of our parents is they became more and more like the person God created them to be right until their last breath. It was remarkable. I told her, my mom, if you were ever around her, she was the kind of person that you never had to wonder what she was thinking. She made sure you knew what she was thinking, and we loved that about her. Sometimes we loved it a little less than other times, but usually we really loved it. But I told her, I said, you know what, Mom? And we, we cried together about this. I said, you are becoming more and more beautiful and Christ-like every day. 
it's amazing to watch the softness about your life, your desire for the kingdom of God, and your desire to be present with the people you love. It's amazing. She had this powerful and simple faith. Her faith was the kind of faith that Jesus talked about. Some of us think that faith is putting our trust in certain types of outcomes. But Jesus instructed us to have a faith that was in him, and he would take care of our outcomes. And her faith was powerful and simple. She just simply trusted Jesus. And she would pray every day, and one of her prayers was, if I could go the way I want, I would just like to fall asleep and breathe my last. It doesn't always go that way, but she trusted Jesus with it simply. It's like, Jesus, if you have a different plan, but this is how I would really love. She rarely asked for anything for herself. She became more centered, and when a person becomes more centered between this place of longing for heaven and being present on earth, being a kingdom person, I have seen that they become extraordinarily generous and grateful with the things that they are given. They just be, they, they grow, and she was doing that. She was becoming more and more generous and more grateful. And most importantly, she was always open to thin places, or what this, the Celts call it. But more than anything, in the last moments of her life, she was open to thin places where you have a hard time telling the difference between am I really here in this reality or am I really in the presence of Jesus? And in that conversation, I told her, (laughs) she said, I am so longing for heaven. And I said, Mom... I feel like you're at a tipping point. It's okay. It's okay to go home. What has has clearly now happened in your life is you have come to a place where the greatest reality, you're not in the tension anymore. The greatest reality of your life is literally being in the presence of Jesus. So cool. She was doing great. All things considered. Two days later, the the hospice nurse had a concern when she visited her. She visited her on Tuesday. She visited her again on Thursday. By Thursday, the cancer, the growth, had doubled in size. She went through this. She was like, she wasn't even going to take ibuprofen. Thursday was morphine day. And we knew at that point we were going to be 24-7 with her. And Claire and I went over, and we, we spent the evening, and she took a lot of morphine. The hospice nurse said, I cannot believe that you're still speaking. She stayed up till 11 o'clock that night. Claire tried to put her in bed at 9 o'clock. And she said, no, we're going to stay up in fellowship. Sean and Kathleen were on their way home. All my other siblings and a lot of, almost all of our family have been able to see her. I think she was really holding on. Do you ever see a person do that? I think she was holding on for Sean and Kathleen to get home. Sean and Kathleen got home. She, she went to sleep. We gave her medication through the night, Thursday night. 
Friday, she, the, she was, Claire spoke to her at 8 a.m., gave her her medicine. She just smiled and said, gosh, you guys are giving me a lot of medicine. She went back to sleep and never woke back up. She stayed alive till Saturday morning. Sean and Kathleen came in, and I think she just wanted to say goodbye. She was unconscious. She was laying there. Sean and Kathleen came in, spent some moments with them. Sean went into her guest room to take a nap because he had driven all night from Florida and literally was in there a couple of minutes, and she went to sleep. And she woke up. She woke up because it was better for her at that moment and for the rest of eternity to be with Jesus. There is this place, folks, that we can live in this beautiful tension of being fully present on the earth. But we have to ask ourselves the question. If you were too, you would say, Scott, it's true about me. I'm a little too heavenly minded. Maybe I'm not engaged enough. Or, Scott, it's true about me. I'm a little too earthly minded. What life adjustments is God inviting you to make today to move closer to living in that beautiful space? A fully present. See, God's kingdom is in you and in me. And the, when you go into the kingdom of heaven, it's not like a new thing. It's just a continuation of what's already going on in your life. You will fall asleep one day. And you, if you give your life to Christ, you will wake up in the presence of Jesus and so many people that you're missing. So as Ron sings this song, I want you to just consider what that may be for you, what the invitation may be, what the thing God is just asking you to hold before him so that you can live more fully into this beautiful space, living a healthy balance of leaving and loving. I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me I can only imagine Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus? Or in all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence? To my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak it all? I can only imagine. Yeah, I can only imagine. I can only imagine 
when that day comes and I find myself standing in the sun I can only imagine when all I will do is forever forever worship you I can only imagine Surrounded by your glory What will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus? Or in all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence? To my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak it all? I can only imagine yeah, I can only imagine. I can only imagine. Yeah, I can only imagine. Yeah, I can only imagine. help us live well right here and that the longing for the beauty of heaven that you've placed in the soul of every person that we would live in the kingdom even today and that we wouldn't choose the things of this world that are passing away my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus blood and righteousness I dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly lean on Jesus name on Christ the solid rock I stand all of the ground is sinking sand oh Stand with us on Christ. 
step you take this week. Bring it. Be in it. Bring it. In the name of the Lord, we love you guys. Great week.